0: Okay, today is June the 7th, 2012, and I don't think I have any announcements unless y'all have something. Okay, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your word. We don't have to stumble around being confused because you have given us the truth. We pray that you will help us to have the good sense to make it a priority, our number one priority, so that we can grow in grace and be good and faithful servants. Pray that you will help us to focus and concentrate this evening. For we pray it in Christ's name, amen. I have something that I don't know if you can see this enough to tell or not uh, I did an interview on internet radio when was that Wednesday and it's archived at this address up here if you want to if you hadn't uh, seen that it's a uh, eight if Maybe somebody's on the internet would like to get it. It's a http colon forward slash forward slash www.bretell.org forward slash interviews and then an underline .htm. And that's, I've seen them longer than that. That's not too bad. So, Yeah. Okay. It's yes. Yeah, it's not a T W O. It's a numerical two, and when you get to that, it, you just scroll down. I think it's number one sixty six. It'll, it'll have the date, and you can just click on it and uh, listen to it if you like. Oh, thank you. Okay. Uh, lesson sixty four, six five twelve. This is what we've already done, and you'll remember what we're going over currently is. Trying to get the ball started. One of the hardest things when you're trying to witness to someone is to get it directed, get a conversation directed towards that area. And we won't go over all these. You see, see some of them here. Uh, I just hope that you pick one or two that you're comfortable with, that you that can help you help it come to mind. Here, this bothers me again. It went back to where it was. There, okay, I like this one how do you uh how do you think a person is saved from hell? That's a pretty good one, or do you think one of them on here is do you think a person can know if he has eternal life or not? Can a person know that's a good one anyway, we went over all these. I don't think I had this. Quote on here though, so I'm going to read that to you now. It's from the Emmaus Journal uh, 2005 uh, from the Emmaus Bible College. It says, Where are you in relation to God right now? No, I remember we went over this, but it, it's, this is what you're trying to get out of a person. Where are they? A stranger, you don't even know if they're a believer. They might be a mature believer, they might be an unbeliever, anywhere in between. So, are you out on the street looking at God's house? Are you walking up the sidewalk? Are you knocking on the front door? Or are you inside and part of the family? So that's one way to try to get a handle on where someone is when you're talking to them about spiritual matters, uh, kind of in a in a visual way. Now this is where we more or less stopped last time, because... We had an illustration of a cable guy coming to your house to install a cable, a young guy. And you wanted to give him the gospel. You didn't know uh, how to do it. You had a little small talk, which is always good. Try to develop a rapport with someone. And then the question, the pivotal question was, do you go to a church around here? And that, after you have just talked a little while, isn't too Alarming, But if he said no, and that's all he said, of course, you're not going to drop it there. And you might follow up on that. Well, uh, you, you just didn't find any churches that you like, or you could just say why if you wanted to. And uh, there's a number of things that he might say. But he just might say uh, something along the lines, um, I just don't like to go to church. And then, of course, you follow that up with, oh, why not? And it's just, what I'm trying to get you to think of is in patterns of questions. Because it doesn't matter what he says, you're going to ask him a question in order to continue to direct him towards the gospel. And apart from asking questions, you don't know where he is. You don't know what his belief system is. You don't know whether he's a hardcore atheist. You don't know whether he's a hardcore religionist, someone who goes to the uh, church religiously and yet is depending on their works to be saved. The only way to ferret all that out is to ask questions. And that's what these were uh, up here to get the ball rolling. And then this is what we said. What would you do if the young cable installer said, yes, I do do go to church. I go to St. Michael's or I go to the Church of Latter-day Saints, or I go to the uh, Kingdom Hall. Jehovah's Witnesses don't have churches. They have Kingdom Halls. Uh, there was just one built right off of, uh, when you get off the main highway on 290 and you're going in the, the market, South Market, there was a new, uh, a new one built there and they have no windows in it. I mean, I can understand being secret, but no windows. Anyhow, so that brings up the issue. How do you handle that? And where we ended last time was just because someone says that they go to a church, by no means mean that they are a born-again believer. So you have to... It, they will tell you something, though. If he said he went to St. Michael's, he probably is going to a Catholic church or maybe their Lutheran church. Uh, because of the name. Of course, if he says he goes to a kingdom hall, they're Jehovah Witness. If he goes to the church of Latter-day Saints, they're Mormons. Now, the question was, how do you treat these people? They're church goers. And the the answer was, you treat them the same way you would treat an unbeliever with regards to asking them questions to lead them to the point to where you can give them the gospel. That's what you're Objective is whether they are churchgoers or not because the great majority, and this is an assumption on my part, educated guess, I would say the majority of churchgoers surely are, you could say the majority are immature believers and a great number are probably not even believers when you get into these three, if we're talking about Catholics, we're talking about Mormons, we're talking about Jehovah's Witnesses, if they subscribe to the ideology of these religions, they are not saved. Because all three are work-based salvation. And we all know that that's the bedrock, core, fundamental part of Christianity is that Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. And a lot of people today would say, yeah, I understand that with the Church of Latter-day Saints or with Kingdom Hall, but I'm not so sure about the the, the Catholic thing. Now, we've already covered Catholicism, so I'm not going to linger here too long. But there is a article that I received in an email that the title of it is a cult is a cult it doesn't matter uh, what organization it is and I'm going to read a few things from it to help you understand that just because someone goes to a church or that is religious by no means means that means that they are a believer this was by Dave Hunt he opens it with this uh, few sentences The evangelical church today is being seduced as never in its history. It faces a danger so grave that although we have discussed this problem before, it must be addressed again with new insight and vigor. If evangelicals succumb to the seduction, as they increasingly are doing, then their gospel witness will be submerged in confusion and could eventually be lost a tragic and new dimension to the apostasy from which the church and the world will never recover. Now, that kind of gets your attention. We have a huge problem. For decades, evangelicals have diligently and faithfully attempted to identify, analyze, and warn the church against cults, including the standard list as Mormonism, Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, Christian Science, Unity School of Christianity, Sun Sun Myung Moon Unification Church, and the list goes on, that the most seductive, dangerous, and largest cult, many times larger than all of the rest combined, is not included in the list. Most cult experts refuse to identify this horrendous cult as such. Instead, they accept it as Christian. You already know what I'm talking about, don't you? Assemblies of God hierarchy has been engaged in fruitful dialogue with this cult whose members are now widely perceived as born-again Christians. As a consequence, the evangelical church faces an unprecedented crisis that threatens its very survival. The above is a severe, solemn, and devastating charge to make, a charge we have documented in the past and in support of which additional evidence will now be given. I challenge any church, listen to this, pretty bold here. He says, I challenge any church leader to public debate who declares that the assertion is false. If proven wrong, I will publicly repent. But if the accusation is true, then a major shakeup in the evangelical church is required, including repentance by many of its most highly regarded leaders. I solicit your help in providing church leaders with the facts they need to identify this cult, the facts of which I myself was ignorant years ago when I too failed to identify the Roman Catholic Church as the cult that it is. And then he goes into um, uh, several proofs. I don't want to go to all of the uh, proofs. Suffice it to say that he outlines what is generally accepted as the definition of a cult, and the Catholic Church fits it perfectly. So I'll, I'll go past a lot of that. Um, he says, Were Luther and Calvin and the other Reformers alive today, they would denounce Roman Catholicism as the largest and most dangerous cult on earth. Yet the Christian Research Institute... And other counter-cult groups refuse to classify it as a cult. And then he talks about a book that uh, by uh, Martin, some of y'all will uh, remember, um, the book from, what's his first, um, Walter Martin, thank you. Walter Martin, it's called Kingdom of the Cults. I have it in my library at home. Excellent book. He says uh, in the book uh, that uh, Martin emphasizes that there, the five major cults at that time had a following exceeding 8.5 million persons. Now this is probably 30 years old, this, this kingdom of the cults, I would, I would imagine, somewhere along there. Then they had 8.5. He says yet overlooked, he overlooked Catholicism's hundreds of millions. And he goes on to make a lot of um, analogies about uh, how they uh, come in as being a cult. Uh, here's a few, uh, just, just a little sampling. Some people think, well, it used to be that way, but it is that way no more. Well, in Vatican II states repeatedly that only Catholicism's hierarchy can interpret the Bible and that papal pronouncements must be obeyed without question. Canon 333, Section 3 declares, quote, There is neither appeal nor recourse against the decision or decree of the Roman pontiff. Vatican watchdog Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger uh, recent 7,500 word instruction declares that dissent about church teachings cannot be justified as a matter of following one's conscience. No cult demands surrender of mind and conscience more fully or arrogantly than Roman Catholicism. In other words, you cannot act according to your conscience, which is completely contrary to what the Word says. Uh, you can do, be doing something that is not a sin, but you if you think it's a sin and you do it anyway, then guess what? It's a sin because you're going against your conscience. Whatever is not of faith is of sin. It's, well, Anyway, uh, he goes on to say, Roman Catholicism is not only left out of the list of cults by the experts, but it is explicitly approved. For example, in Scripture Twisting, that's the name of a book, by the way, uh, Scripture Twisting, James W. Sire, longtime editor-in-chief of the InterVarsity Press, defines a cult as having, uh, uh, quote, doctrines and or practices that contradict those of the Scripture as interpreted by traditional Christianity, as represented by them, uh, whether Catholic or Protestant denominations, and then he goes on to talk about how Rome and the Mormon Church and all these things are so uh, so much alike. Here's uh, here's a, here's another illustration. Page one eleven of this. Uh, book, he says, the Catholic Church resisted the mounting heresies with regards to the person of Christ, and Protestants would continue to affirm Catholic Christology. In other words, this book was affirming Catholic Christology. And Dave says, again, this is terribly false. Catholicism, Christiani- uh, Christology, y'all all know what Christology is, right? The study of Christ. Uh, Catholicism, Christology, is heretical. It denies Christ's exclusive role as mediator between God and man, making Mary a co-mediatrix. It denies the exclusivity of His redemptive work, making Mary a co-redemptrix. Vatican II credits Mary with a perpetual salvific role. She continues to obtain by her consent intercession and the graces we need for eternal salvation. And it denies the sufficiency of Christ's redemptive work, declaring that the redeemed must, in addition to Christ's suffering for them upon the cross, suffer for their own sins and are uh, here, uh, suffer for their sins here and are in purgatory. A great deal more heresy is involved in Catholic Christology as presenting him as perpetually an infant. Subject to his mother. Have you ever noticed that? Perpetually on the cross. Have you ever been to a Catholic church? You'll see Christ. See, that they're emphasizing Christ is on the cross because they keep sacrificing him every mass. Well, Christ uh, <laughs> went to the cross one time, according to Hebrews, book of Hebrews, once for all. And now he is our intercessor. He has ascended. So they show him perpetually on the cross, but a lack of space prevents further detail. The Christ of Roman Catholicism is as false as it's Mary and much as, as much as another Jesus of that of Mormonism and any other cult. And then he goes, you know, I have a lot of, uh, of this details with regard to uh, demonstrating this. Uh, here's one that will just kind of uh, get it all in one shot. The first of the seven sacraments is baptism, which is performed upon 98% of Catholics as infants. It declared, it is declared in Canon 849 to be the means by which men and women are freed from their sins, are reborn as children of God. The basic uh, Catechism declares that baptism is necessary for salvation, and they are not talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit. I challenge any of you to ask any Catholic that you know to give a definition of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and if they get it right, I'm tempted to say I'll eat my hat. I guess that's safe to say, so I'm not wearing a hat. But <laughs> I would be exceedingly surprised if they have a clue what you're talking about. They're talking about water water baptism. Water baptism cleanses us from original sin, makes us Christians. Another sacrament is the Mass, which the catechism declared to be one and the same sacrifice with that of the cross, inasmuch as Christ continues to offer Himself on the altar through the mystery of the priests. Canon 904 states that the work of redemption is continually accomplished in the mystery of the Eucharist sacrifice. Thus denying Christ triumphal, it is finished. Tetelestai. It's in John 19.30. Okay, here's my last shot right here. Those who believe Rome's lies and follow her gospel of works for salvation are lost. Failing to recognize this fact, many evangelical leaders and cult experts have themselves been deceived by Rome and need to be confronted and informed. How tragic to assume that Catholics are Christians who merely have some peripheral beliefs and practices which seem peculiar to Protestants, but which will not prevent them from being saved. A false gospel is a false gospel, and it damns those who believe it, whether preached by Mormonism or Catholicism. A cult is a cult. Roman Catholics, like the members of other cults, need to be traded with compassion, warned of cultic lies, and presented with the true gospel, which alone can save them. Now, that's just a, a, a very brief summary. So what I'm saying is when someone says, I go to St. Michael's, it's like saying, Matt, red alert. What do they need? They need the gospel. So you're going to ask them questions. By the way, I got this today as, a, as an e- email. Just, it was several pages long, but maybe you have heard about it. Uh, it was written by an, a, a Catholic. It was a, the editor of Catholic Online. And he was addressing addressing Mitt Romney, Mormon candidate, that gave the uh, graduation address at Baptist Baptist Liberty University. Now, I, I get confused. We have a Baptist university. Jerry Falwell founded it. And you have a Catholic writing a glowing article that was published in the Times about a Mormon candidate for president. Uh, We live in a very confused, mixed-up world. Governor Romney addressed a graduating class of 14,000 graduates and a crowd estimated of over 30,000 people. That made it the largest crowd of the 2012 campaign. His speech was deeply respectful. He affirmed the founder of the university, the late Dr. Jerry Falwell, so you have a Mormon here uh, lauding a Baptist minister. And then here's the, just uh, this is the only quote that I had, but I thought it was worth it. I, being the Catholic editor of Catholic Online contend that I have more in common theologically with Liberty's Baptists as a Catholic Christian, though I am sure some present, present in Lynchburg on Saturday would not agree. In other words, what he's saying is, first of all, I see that Catholic Christian, I see that as an oxymoron. And I am not attacking Catholics The whole thing of this article is that we should love Catholics enough to, if it hurts their feelings because we give them the gospel, so be it. But we can't just keep flirting around the idea that it's okay that you're a Catholic. You believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. You believe in the cross. We believe in the cross. You believe in the virgin birth. We believe in the virgin birth. So we're all really the same. That is ecumenical claptrap. And people are falling for it. There is a distinction. And that's what we're talking about in getting the gospel right, which is going to be our next area that I'm going to go into. So I've said all this so that you will recognize that we need to talk to these people and give them the gospel. I don't care if they're the editor of Catholic Online. This person needs the... uh, the gospel. So, what would you say to a person? I go to St. Michael's. Okay. You want to give them the gospel. What are you going to say? Well, you're a Catholic. What are you going to have? I don't think that's going to be the best choice. Maybe true, but you don't want to say. Well, <laughs> I think it might put him on his defensive. So, what might you say? I'm open for suggestions. We'll make it quick. What was it? Just a phrase. Well, that's a good question, though. I mean, see, you, you, you have to kind of lead into it. If you're too abrupt, they're going to be on the defensive. So you might say something like that. Well, how long have you been going there? That's going to tell you something. If she's been going there, like you said, all her life, then she ought to know what the uh, Catholic doctrines are. So my next question would be, well, you know, I'm curious. What does uh, Catholicism teach with regards to eternal salvation? You're not arguing, you're trying to get information. That shouldn't be offensive to them. And you don't know what they might say, but they probably will say, well, you have to uh, believe in Jesus Christ. I-, I guess they would say that. Some of them that I- I've i talked to said, yes, you have to believe in Jesus Christ. At that point, do we, what do we say? Well, how do you see in Jesus Christ? And what do they call? You, you have to be bad you have are things that they have. And you're going to politely listen to all that. And you say, oh, okay. Uh, tr- uh, church tradition on the same par as the Bible, which is uh, because anytime the same time there is a reference between the pope and the Bible. Guess what the Catholic Church is going to go with? Oh, it's, it's a cult and up there is one to, they have to deal with. So is half treat treat them same way. We're going to ask questions on a that their beliefs disagree with the Scriptures. Rip any of them apart. So that they believe now, Here we have, right? I got it as a set. We just ourselves and find ways to, well, what we do is it, and when you do these things, you have people we need to get prime to get the number of what we want with. Here's an example. Now this is a congregation. This is Home Depot uh, yeah, count hey, How about you? You going to heaven? How long? Well, you're in a line, you check line, and it won't be uh, skewed Kill, you want to take it, so she went I hope so. Uh, go to and click the red button. It's true. Sure. Now, want to know? how the church cards in your wallet or in your purse. But I hope by Sunday you'll have one. How can you do that? How can you give them the? I time. As a church website, and, and if you're on the web know whatever, your red site. Five On the red button. Red button. It's red on the booth. If you ever say, have that. You fly here, right? And right here, you know. Here's the thing. There's a website right there. You now I know some of you aren't firing something. Let it be a little strong. It goes to be Kurtz Bear Wallace. I really know. People's dreams can come true. People all over the place are talking. Okay, right. Right. Not back there. There's more, right? We should about this. Not sure it much. That. Either can guess or did do this, side. not just those within it. Heading think, as this was by road of his meaning book, and he sent them as conversion. Star from the and t- Sin loose. They're going to defend and You're not just asking. You're not. Who? You want to spill right? Tell them everything you know about the vials, or listen that. You know, what, and questions. I have some of you. Only three. And you want to? Oh yeah, I'm ready. I don't know all about tongues. Now Bring it on. This is my out. Do you understand? this Whitney sing thing. Him in order to be all being certain in order for them at after was uneasy. He would speak a question. They couldn't answer it. He probably asked him another question. They couldn't answer that either. And then he started giving them some scripture. That's probably how the reasoning went. In other words. Reasoning with someone means that they are required to do what? Think. That's what you want people to do is think. They're going to just regurgitate something they heard from somebody and think, oh, that ought to be good. No. You're going to ask them questions, get down. What do you think and why do you think it? That's what reasoning is about. And so they did it in the synagogue which with the Jews. That was probably the toughest place. And then with the God-fearing Gentiles in the marketplace and so forth. Verse 18. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. How would you like to be in that conversation? Because the Greeks loved debate. They loved what they considered uh, this philosophical, uh, philosophical, philosophical competition. And some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? (laughs) Do you see that? What are they calling Paul here? An idle babbler. That's not a very flattering flattering, uh, way to be addressed. And they were saying, what does he want to say, this idle babbler? Babbler means he's not making any sense. And others seem to be uh, others. he seems to uh, be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Okay, what does this tell us right here? What was he focusing on here? Jesus and the resurrection so when you 're talking to someone, especially if you're talking to someone who is a religious person, and you're talking about what is the essence of having eternal life, you're going to be talking about who? Jesus and what? The resurrection. When was the last time you just asked somebody, hey, what do you think about resurrection? Y'all don't do those things, do you? You're missing out. It's fun. You catch people completely off guard. They say, you know what their first word is. You know what it is, don't you? What? You heard me. Resurrection. Do I need to spell it? Don't do that. But I'm saying, (laughs) Resurrection! Paul wasn't bashful about using them, was he? And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. Now, this was said sarcastically. They didn't really care. They were just trying to put him down. For you're bringing some strange things to our ears. We want to know, therefore, what these things mean. They were going to debate with him. They were going to put him down. These strange things you, this idol bibler is saying. He's bringing in all this weirdo stuff. Verse 21. Now, all the Athenians and the strangers, which here is referring to Jews, Visiting used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So this was the place where the Areopagus, where they would go and they would debate. And they had, this is like the six o'clock news, and everybody got what was going on from all over. And uh, so he had the people's attention. And Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, "Look at this, men of Athens. I observe." that you are very religious in all aspects. Now, they probably said, grand, and we sure are. We're very religious. Isn't that what a lot of religious people do? They're very proud that they are religious. And so he says, for a while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship. I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown god. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Now what he's saying is they had a they had a, a, a idol for everything, and just in case they missed something, there was an idol to the unknown god. They didn't want to make sure that there was some. They didn't have an idol for something, and so this was for the unknown god. Now, see, Paul was alert. He was looking. Okay, what can I make an issue? Well, obviously, look at all the idols. And he even found one that said, to the unknown God. And that was his springboard to get over to giving them the gospel. And look how he used it. He says, What therefore you worship in ignorance, it has to be ignorance, they don't even know who it is that they're worshiping with this unknown God, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and all the things in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth and does not dwell in temples made with hands. Woo. Not pulling any punches, is he? He's getting right down to it. He's not starting with believing in Jesus Christ, is he? Verse 25, Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. I imagine right about at that point, there were a lot of open mouths. I mean, who would make such a claim? This is not, not the normal thing. Verse 27, and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. By the way, that if, if you'd like to put a notation there, is a fourth class conditional clause, and it's somewhat rare. And it is... It means if, and I wish it were so, but it's not. It's called the optative mood. So he says that he set the boundaries of their habitation that they should seek God if perchance that they might grope for him. That would be positive volition, that God consciousness. And find him, find, now put these notes in your Bible, underline this so you understand what he's saying. Groping is positive volition at God consciousness. In other words, when they get reach a, an age where they know that man didn't make the, the stars, the sun, the moon, and the oceans and mountains and so forth, and they're positive, they want to know this God that did this, that's groping for him, and find him, that's getting the gospel. Notice that comes after positive volition at God's consciousness. Though he's not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. Then he says, being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think That the divine nature, this here, this means the Godhead, is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by art and thought of by man. In other words, he's saying he's not anything like these idols. He's the one that made the universe, he made the earth, he made the components that make these idiotic idols that you have that can't speak and they can't move and they can't breathe and they can't think and they can't prophesy. They're just dumb. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all, everywhere should repent. Okay, now he's getting down to it. You see this? He said all this. He said, look, you, you're worshiping some false god. These idle, silly things. And the true God is the one that is perfect. And He is the one that you need to repent to. Now, what does repent mean here? Change your mind. He says the times of ignorance. What, What is it that they need to repent of, by the way, in context? Worshipping idols. That's what they're doing. They're worshiping idols. He says the time has come. You've offended this God, the true God that made it all. And in your ignorance, you're ignorantly worshiping a false God. And He says declaring to men that everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. A man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, what's he got in there? Boy, do you see how much he put in there? I think of John chapter 16. I think it starts at verse 11. Remember when when Jesus said he was leaving, that he would send the helper, the paraclete, and he would convict who? The world. Of what? Sin, righteousness, and justice. What is Paul talking about right here? Sin, righteousness, and justice. Do you see it in there? Look at it. Starting verse uh, 30. Therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance. God is now, in other words, He's, he, he's, he's overlooked. You're still there. He had not made you toast yet, uh, worshiping these false idols. Now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent. Repent of this idolatry that these false gods that they're worshiping. There's the sin issue. Because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. There you have the judgment and He is the righteous God. Through a man who he appointed, having furnished the man Jesus Christ, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. In other words, he is the righteous standard. Only Jesus met the righteous standard, and it's proved that he met it by what? Being resurrected. The resurrection proves that Jesus Christ is every everything he said he was. Look at this, verse thirty-two. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, "We will hear you again concerning this." See, he's got another shot at him now, son. And this is what this is the true experience. A lot of people, when you talk about Jesus Christ was born a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and was raised from the dead in resurrection, they're gonna, <coughs> you know, sneer. Oh, this is silly. But some are going to be very interested in that because they're not hearing it from anyone. Heck, half the church today doesn't even believe in the resurrection, doesn't believe in the virgin birth. So he says that. And then uh, verse 33, so Paul went out of their midst. Verse 34, but some men joined him and believed. Look at that. Because there's power in the gospel and he gave it to them straight away. He gave it to them without any deviousness at all. Because, he says, but some men joined him and believed, among whom was Dionysus and Areopagate and a woman named Demarius and others with them." So there were people right then from what he said believe the gospel. And what did he do? We would say we have some downtime. You're sitting at HEB waiting for your husband to come with the car. You bought the groceries and you're sitting there and some lady comes and sits down beside you. And you're thinking, "Hmm. What's the best thing I can do? How can I spend my time to be most productive?" I mean, you're trying to think about what can you say to her? And you're looking You you, you have to be alert. Any little thing can spur you to make a conversation with this person and within two or three minutes already make a phrase or a comment that gets it towards the gospel. That springboard, that trigger, whatever you want to call it. And you need to be thinking about that. If you don't think about it, you're not going to do it. And that's why I've been hammering on this and we've been going over it because it's a challenge to you. I've given you all these different phrases as examples. I can't tell you what to say. But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you have a desire to be a good and faithful servant and be obedient as an ambassador of Christ as which those are he, who He uses in order to reach the lost, and if you make an effort and you're alert, you're going to see things and you're going to be bold enough to just come out and say, Hey, <laughs> you're going to be here long? No, I'm just waiting on my son. Oh, I'm waiting too. You and your son live around here? Yeah, we do. What church you go to? Huh? What's that going to do? Have no idea, but it's a shot, isn't it? And in those few minutes, you might not have time to do anything. But you know what you're going to have time to do? Here's a card. This is where I go to church. And if you like, there's a website on there. You might want to check the red button out. Bye. Have a nice day. You see what I'm talking about? We should be doing this. But we're not, are we? No, we're just going through life like a zombie. You know, we got our, I got to go to the grocery store. People like me aren't in line and all I'm thinking about is how long it's taken for this line is the slowest line that ever was. And while I'm sitting there thinking about I'm in a hurry and why did she have to run out of paper in that thing now? Why did that woman in front of me have to pull out seven zillion coupons? I'm in a hurry. I went in the shortest line. Everybody else is already leaving. And I'm still here. Hurr! And in the meantime, some poor lost soul is standing right next to me. Am I thinking about, hmm, I wonder if I can strike up a conversation with him, see if I can get a little springboard into the gospel. Well, we all have our stories, don't we? Time is short, folks. And the harvest is white there's so many out there. We need to all think about this now so we have the opportunity, we can try something out. It's the Holy Spirit that does it. That's what the whole thing is. But He needs you. That's the way God designed it to get the ball rolling. And as awkward as you may feel, and as stupid as you may feel, what God wants are those who are willing. And the question is are you willing? You have the Gospel. You know what the Gospel is. We'll see. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we have the good news. We have the greatest news that there ever was. We pray that you will give us all boldness, eagerness, to tell others the good news that we have. That all the shyness and self-centeredness and focusing on ourselves oh, we'll be embarrassed and all the rest of it, that that will just go to the wayside, that we are honing in on those that we might be able to give the good news to. It is our duty as Christians, but we want to make it a joy. For indeed, for those of us who have given the gospel and those others have accepted it, the fulfilling joy that goes with that can't be described. So we don't want to miss that, and we want to be good and faithful servants. So we pray that You will help us to take each circumstance that we have and turn it into glory for the Lord Jesus Christ by simply giving people the truth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.